If you've got your Bibles with you today, turn to Hebrews chapter 1, if you will. Hebrews chapter 1 is our foundational verse for a brand new series of studies we began last Sunday morning looking at and learning what the Bible has to say about angels. Angels and demons, what does the Bible teach? Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, one day God was looking down on earth and he saw all of the evil that was going on, all of the problems taking place on this planet. And so God decided to send an angel down to check out what, what was going on. And so he looked around heaven, he found one of his best angels, and he commissioned him, he sent him, hey, go down there to earth, find out what all's going on, and then tell me what percentage of the people on the planet earth are good and what percentage are bad. And so the angel went down there, he looked around for a while, several days, kind of reconnoitered, went back to heaven, he said, well, God, I've got to tell you that about 95% of the people down there are bad and 5% are good. And God said, well, that's about what I thought. But let's just get a different point of view. He called another good angel up, and he sent the angel down with the same uh, responsibility. Look down there, figure out what's going on, and tell me what percentage of the people down there are good, what percentage of the people are bad. A little while later, the angel showed back up. He said, well, I agree with the first angel. 95% of the people down there are bad, and uh, 95% of the people down there are good. And so here's what God said. All right, I want to encourage the 5% that are good. I want to send them an email to, to help encourage them and, and strengthen them and help them to get by. And so God wrote out an email, and he sent it to the 5% of the people on the planet who were good. How many of y'all know what that email said? How many of y'all know what that email said? Yeah, y'all didn't get that email either, did you? <laughs> That's a really bad joke. It's worse theology. Do you understand that? It's kind of like the guy who said to his buddy one day, he said, my wife is an angel. He said, really? Why do you say that? He said, because he's always up in the air harping about something. Don't write me a letter. But there's a lot of craziness and a lot of confusion about the subject and the study of angels. And I really, the, I think the reason why is, is because there is really just a lack of biblical understanding, biblical knowledge about the, the ministry and the activity and the personality of angels in the world today. So if you were here last Sunday morning, you remember that as we began this study, I told you that there are basically two ditches that people will fall into when it comes to the subject and the study of angels. On one side, there are those who fall into the ditch of obsession. For them, angels are everywhere. I mean, angels are in the out infield, the outfield, the left field, the dugout. I mean, angels are everywhere. They love to listen to songs about angels. They love to watch movies about angels. They love to, to, to just think and everything about angels. How many of y'all last Sunday, when I, when I talked about that person who has a house full of angels, loves angels, songs, books, movies, about, how many of y'all thought, I know somebody in my family just like that. Can I see your hands? Raise your hand. How many of y'all? Somebody in my family just like So if, if you're not raising your hands, very likely you're it. Right? So there are those who fall into the ditch of obsession. Angels are everywhere. But then there are those that fall into the other ditch, and they say, no, they're not everywhere. They're just nowhere. They don't exist. They're just a figment of the imagination. They're just up there with a fairy tale or a fable. So if we're going to study what the Bible has to say, then we need to learn what we should learn about angels. And it's my personal prayer and my fervent hope uh, that as we look at this study, as we go through this study, that you won't just be educated and enlightened. I want you to do that, all right? I want you to learn something. Dr. Moeller always said that in every 
every passage of Scripture, there is something to learn and something to do. I want you to be educated. I want you to be enlightened. But I also, and maybe even more so, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be equipped. I want you to be confronted and even comforted that you won't just simply receive more information, but rather, as I shared with you last Sunday morning, that you'll get more inspiration to live godly in Christ Jesus. Now, Again, if you weren't here last Sunday, let me kind of update you. Last Sunday, we began by looking at the presence of angels, the uh, reality, the activity, and the ministry of angels. This morning, what I want to do is I want to begin to move the ball down the, down the field a little bit. And I want us to think about this morning and see what the Bible has to say about the personality of angels. Now, you should be there in Hebrews chapter 1. If you have not made your way there, I have stalled as long as I possibly can. Hebrews chapter 1, again, look at our foundational verse for this series of studies. Number 1, there in verse, 15, verse 14. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, I always thought it was, was Paul, my professor, Dr. David Allen, who preached here a couple of weeks ago. He is convinced it was Luke. He did his entire doctoral dissertation on the Lucan authorship uh, of Hebrews. He says it's Luke. I don't, the, the writer of Hebrews, he says there in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, are not they, or are they not, and we know we're talking about angels from the previous verse, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And so the Bible teaches that God has created and God has appointed angels as ministering spirits to those who know and love and fear and serve God. How many of y'all are familiar with the name Corey Ten Boom? Can I see your hands, Corey Ten Boom? So Corey Ten Boom, the little Dutch girl whose family, her and her family helped hide the Jews from the Nazis, and uh, she wrote a book called A Prisoner and Yet. And in that book, she talked about the day that her and her sister Betsy, they were arrested by the Nazis again for their family hiding the, the Jews from the Nazis there in their family home. And uh, they had made their way there to the concentration tramp at Ravensbrook. And she had hidden a Bible up underneath her dress. And here's what she wrote. She wrote, it did bulge out obviously through my dress. But I prayed, Lord... Cause now thine angels to surround me and let them not be transparent today. For the guards must not see me. I felt perfectly at ease. Calmly I passed the guards. Everyone was checked from the front, the sides, the back. Not a bulge escaped from the eyes of a guard. The woman just in front of me had hidden a woolen vest under her dress. It was taken from her. Then they, they, they let me pass for they did not see me. Betsy right behind me was searched but outside awaited another danger. On each side of the door were women who looked everyone over for a second time. They felt over the body of each one who passed. I knew they would not see me for the angels were still surrounding me. I was not even surprised when they passed me by, but within me arose the jubilant cry, O oh Lord, if thou dost so answer prayer, I can face even Ravensbrook unafraid. You see, what she did is she experienced what so many, right? She experienced what so many other believers have experienced down through human history, and that is the ministry of the mighty angels of God. So as we get started here this morning, I need you to put your thinking cap on, okay? So just do this with me. Put your thinking cap on, all right? Put your thinking cap on. Get your Bible out. Get your pen, your paper, uh, your notepad out. I've got a lady out at West, and I, I told her this morning that I mentioned her in the early service. One of our sweet ladies every week will kind of just hold her phone up at me, and that's her way of saying I'm using the notes app uh, on my phone. I don't care. Just write these in 
introductory statements uh, here this morning down somewhere. Dr. Rogers always told us that the weakest ink is better than the best memory. And so write these down, put them down somewhere. Let me give you some, some introductory statements about the personality of angels. And then we'll get into the message proper. Number one, angels are created beings with individual personalities. You say, where do you get that? Well, the Bible. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 specifically where Paul says, for by him all things were created, watch this, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And so here we know, Paul lets us be aware, that angels are created beings with individual personalities. They are thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. Number two, angels have emotion, volition, and intelligence. How many of y'all remember the story, the account back in Ezekiel 28? In Ezekiel 28, we're told that two-thirds of the angels of heaven, uh, they stood with God, they were faithful to God, as Lucifer led a rebellion, and a third of the angels of heaven followed Lucifer. Remember that story? So here you have two-thirds that stood with God, a third that rebelled with Lucifer against God. And so what that teaches us, what that infers from, what we can infer from that, is that angels have personality, they have a will, because they chose which way that they were going to go. Number next, angels are are spiritual beings without a physical body. So that's what our main verse in Hebrews chapter 1 teaches us. If it doesn't teach us anything else, it teaches us that they are ministering spirits. But as we're going to see this morning and through this study, there are those times when angels, even though they are ministering spirits, they were take upon human form so they can be seen by our human eyes. So in order they can minister to the child of God. Number next, angels neither marry nor are they given in marriage. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse number 20. And so here's what that means. Here's what that means. There are no new baby angels. And I know that just messes some of y'all up because most people, when they think of, think of angels, they think of a little fat baby wearing a diaper, strumming a harp, sitting on a cloud in heaven somewhere, right? That's how most people view angels as these little bitty babies. No, they are not. Can I put a time out right here and push the pause button for just a second? Can I deal with something here? And I think I've waited long enough because sometimes I want to deal with this because it kind of comes up in the context, but I need to kind of give a little bit of space. Can, can I help you just a little bit this morning to understand that when your loved one dies, you hear it at funerals all the time, somebody dies, mama dies, daddy goes to be with the Lord, uh, there's some horrible accident and some, some child passes away, and some well-intentioned, well-meaning person will say something like this, well Heaven just got another angel. No, no, no. Do not do that to your loved one. Do not denigrate your loved one. Don't downplay your loved one. Angels love to look into what we know. They want to know what we know. They can never sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a red sight me. They know nothing of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. They know nothing of that. Angels are personalities just like we are. They're just spiritual beings. But angels were created just by just like by God, just like just like we were. And so they are they're not marrying, they're not giving in marriage. They don't have little bitty, little bitty angel babies. And so what that also goes on to mean that angels are powerful. Did you know that one? 
one angel killed 185 Assyrians in one night. Did you know that? And on another occasion, one lone angel killed 70,000 Israelites after David sinned. One single solitary angel broke the seal on the stone, rolled the stone away so that the soldiers could get in there and see that Jesus' body was gone on that first resurrection morning. And so don't ever get the idea that angels are some sort of a little sissy, wimpy, a little baby. No, angels are powerful. Angels are strong. Also, angels behold the face of God. Matthew 18, verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Can you imagine how, how amazing that must be? To always see, to always be before the throne of God, to always see the face of God. Also, angels understand something of their limitations. Even though they can do some of the things that we can't do, I would like to be able to move like they'd move. Can I be honest with you? Can you imagine how much easier Sunday morning would be for me? I mean, I'm getting up there with their speed, but can you imagine if I could just go... But even though they can do certain things that we can't do, they are not God. They do not have the attributes of God. They are not omniscient. They don't know everything. Matter of fact, Matthew 24 tells us that the angels don't know when Jesus is going to come back. They're not omnipresent. They're not always at every place. We see that in Daniel and, uh, and other places. Uh, they're not omnipotent. They don't have all power. They can't just do anything that they want to do. And so they understand something of their limitations. And then lastly, at least for this morning, uh, angels are lower than Christ. The writer of Hebrews says that in chapter 1, verse 4, where Jesus is better than the angels. And so with all of that as an introduction, let me begin to share with you and show you what the Bible teaches about the personality of angels. If you're taking notes this morning, and I hope that you are, let's talk for a few minutes about the appearance of angels. Hebrews 1, verse 14, our foundational passage, tells us something very important about the appearance of angels. And he says here that they are ministering spirits. In other words... Angels in their normal natural state, they are invisible. You can't see them with your human eyes. But as I told you a moment ago, there are those times when, when they're doing God's business, when they're, when they're on the job, if you will, and God has sent them to do something he wants them to do, the will and the work of God, that the presence of the angel can be seen by human eyes. And so, A, angels are spiritual beings who take human form from time to time. Remember back in Genesis chapter 19, you got the horrible story of, of, of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot is there and his family. God is going to judge the city. And the, God sends down the angels to get Lot and his family out. And then you have the men of the city who see the angels and they, they think that they're humans and all the stuff that goes with that, right? And so that's basically what you find in Hebrews 13 verse 2 where the Bible says that some people have unwittingly, unknowingly entertained angels. I wonder how many times have we been ministered to? How many times have we seen? How many times has God worked in our life, has brought across our path um, that, that, that angel that we failed to realize that it was an angel because we just thought it was just some other human being? How many times have we entertained angels unaware? Sometimes, from time to time, the Bible says that angels take on human form so that they can minister to the child of God. Dr. W.S. Mitchell, famous neurologist, I think, in Philadelphia, years ago. 
He's at home one night. It's raining. It's cold. And there's a knock at his door. And he opens up the door. And there's this little six-year-old girl. I mean, soaked and shivering. I mean, just soaked from head to toe. She said, my mama is very, very sick. I need you to come with me and help her. This little girl guides this doctor down the road up to a little small apartment. He goes in. There's this very sick woman in there. He takes care of her. He treats her. He looks around. The girl's gone. doesn't know where she is. And so finally, the woman kind of kind of comes to herself. And she says, how did you know that I was here? How did you know to come? How did you know that I was sick? He said, well, your daughter brought me. And she said, I don't have a daughter. And here's what he wrote. There's no way that I can explain it except that an angel has paid us a visit tonight. Years ago, Billy Graham was in Korea. He was worshiping in a house church, and the communists had surrounded this this house church. They were going to storm the little house and take everybody prisoner and, you know, all the things that goes with that. And then all of a sudden, just unexpectedly, they pulled back and retreated. And years later, one of those soldiers that was in that, that group that night that retreated was converted, came to Christ, and they asked him, hey, weren't you there at that house tonight? He said, yes. He said, well, then why did you all retreat? They asked him, why did you all pull back? He said, because when we got to the house, there was an angel on every corner of that house. <laughs> and we just decided, this is better for us to go home. You say, Pastor, surely, uh, Pastor, come on now. You're an educated man. Surely you don't believe that. I'll tell you this. If you want to call Billy Graham a liar, have at it, all right? If you want to call Billy Graham a liar, just just have at it. But I believe that as you study the Bible, what I believe is, I'm convinced, that God sends out his angels to minister to the children of God. And many times the Bible says that they can come and take human form. And then also under appearance, we understand that angels are spiritual beings who often appear in dazzling, blazing, brilliant light. Listen to, you don't have to turn over there, but Matthew 28, beginning of verse 2, the Bible says there in the gospel, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So here's what the gospel says. Matthew says, that an angel came and showed up in brilliant, blazing, blinding glory so much that it looked like lightning. So that's the appearance of angels. If you're taking notes, here's the second main point this morning. And that is the arrangement of angels. And, and again, I, I, I get it. This is super interesting to me. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe there might be two or three of you all here this morning and you woke up and, and you were getting dressed and you were standing in front of the mirror and you said, I just can't wait to get to church this morning. I just can't wait to see what pastor's going to say about the person. I, I, I know there's probably not two or three of you all, but, but I'm a Bible geek, all right? And so I've nerded out the last couple of days because when you begin to study, and it's just super interesting, when you begin to study what, what the Bible teaches, that there are those who will say that there are nine different categories of angels. And here's what I would say. I don't know whether they're right. I don't know whether they're wrong. What I will say is this. I believe that there are subcategories and classes and categories and classifications of angels. But I think that there are four main division or distinct types of angels. And so just write these down. You don't have to agree with me. You have every right to be wrong. But here's the first thing that I'll tell you. I think, number one, there's, there's a category of the archangel that's Michael. What does he do? He calls us. Listen to Jude 9. Yet Michael, watch this, the 
archangel. We believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. Every single word is inspired. You have a definite article here. It is, he is the archangel. What does that mean? He says here, Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation but said the Lord rebuke you. So what does the Bible teach us about the archangel Michael? Number one, well he's in charge of the angels of heaven. That's what the title archangel means. He is the best. He is the first. He is the highest. He is the chief angel. What else does he do? Well he watches over the nation of Israel. We read about this in Daniel 12 verse 1 where the Bible says says, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Now, look right here. I get it that we live in a different world. How many of y'all know that we live in a messed up backwards world? Can I be honest with you? So what I say all the time is now we're living in bizarro world. How many of y'all even know where that comes from? Superman. So we live in a world where everything is backwards. Right is now wrong, wrong is now right. It, we live in a messed up world. But even in that messed up world, I still believe, I am convicted that what the Bible says is true, that God blesses those who bless Israel. And here you have Michael. He is the chief. He is the head, if you will, of all the angels. He is given the responsibility of watching over the nation of Israel. And he's the one who executes the judgment of the law. Again, remember when Lucifer rebelled against God and tried to usurp the position and the praise of God. It was God who said, hey, hey, Michael, Michael. Go get rid of them. It was Michael who kicked them out of heaven. The Bible talks about this in Revelation 12, beginning in verse 6. How then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And, verse 7, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Do you notice this? God didn't even bother with Lucifer. God just looked over at Michael and said, hey, go take care of him. That ought to tell you just a little bit about how concerned God is with the devil. We're a whole lot more concerned and worried and afraid of the devil than we ought to be, Right? So here you have Michael the archangel. What does he do? He is in charge of the angels. He, he has watched over the nation of Israel. He executes the judgment of the law. And then lastly, one day he's going to call us to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So you have Michael the archangel who calls us. Number two, messenger angels. What do they do? Well, they, they confront us. Gabriel's the best known of the messenger angels. Every time Gabriel shows up in the pages of your Bible, he's delivering a message. I call him God's postman. And so here you have Gabriel showing up. He showed up twice in the book of Daniel. Every time he is delivering a message, he shows up twice in the book of, in the gospel of Luke and he's delivering a message. He's the one who delivered the message about the birth of John the Baptist. He's the one who came announcing the birth of Jesus. And so you have messenger angels, the best known as Gabriel, and they confront us. Number three, you have seraphim. What do they do? They cleanse us. So Michael, his name means 
means who is like the Lord. Gabriel, his name means the mighty one of God. And then there's seraphim, literally means the burning ones. Look here real quickly, real quickly in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 2. Notice what the Bible says. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Now watch this. Are you all still paying attention? One of our guys sent me a picture. Somebody has come up with a, a kind of a, a, a depiction of what an angel would look like from this verse and some others. And it's the, it's the craziest, scariest thing you've ever seen. And he says, this is how we need to dress the angels up for this year's singing Christmas tree. <laughs> so, so watch this, all right. And it, above it stood seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to, the, to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth with it and said behold this has touched your lips by the way this is a coal not a habanero pepper at camp my boy Jack I've got a video my boy Jack loves hot stuff and evidently at camp some of y'all talked Jack into eating a habanero pepper on video and he's his dad's son. He did it. My daughter said he cried a little bit. <laughs> and evidently, that was all that he needed was that hot habanero pepper. Because yesterday I offered him some buffalo-flavored uh, potato chips. He said, I think I'll pass. <laughs> So this is not a habanero pepper. This is a hot coal from the altar. And look what it says. He says, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Two things I think you learn here. Seraphim are those angels that are situated and they surround the throne of God. And the seraphim are those angels who are given the responsibility of chastening or disciplining the children of God. Remember there was a show years ago called Touched by an Angel. How many of y'all remember that show? Remember that? Raise your hand. Remember, remember Touched by an Angel? Yeah, all the old folks. So, and maybe, just maybe, we have been chastened or disciplined or whipped by an angel, and we just didn't know it. And then the last category is cherubim. What do they do? Well, they crown us. Look in Ezekiel 9, beginning of verse 1. Then he called out in my hearing with a loud voice, Let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his battle axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. They went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub, where it had been, to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. 
So here you have the cherubim, and I think that these are the angels who have the responsibility of protecting the glory of God. I don't think I did the Bible any injustice to say that as we sit in here this morning, that all around this building there are the cherubim of God who have been stationed and are standing to protect the glory of God. Have you ever gone into a church when nobody else is there and you could just sense the presence and the glory of God? I think that is the angels of God. They're protecting the glory of God. But then there are those times when those angels wing their way back to heaven and God writes over the door to that church, Ichabod, the glory has departed. And you can go in that church when nobody is there and it feels like a funeral home. It is dead. It is cold. And I don't know any other way to explain that except from the standpoint of the cherubim of God there to protect the glory and the majesty of God. Because if you walk into a church and nobody else is there and you still feel the presence of God, then it's not the Holy Spirit because where does the Holy Spirit live? Within us, right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so if nobody else is there, if there's no people there, and you can still sense the presence of God, then I think it must be the angels of God. A lot of times when I go preach somewhere, and I don't preach out a lot. I'm going to preach out here a little bit in August. I'm going to preach out a little bit next year. And I would rather preach here than any other place on the planet. I, I, I love being in Abilene. I love preaching in Abilene. But every now and then when I go preach somewhere else, I try to get there a little bit early, and I walk into the auditorium, and I mean just in a matter of seconds. You either know that the presence of God is there or it's not. And I think this has to do with the presence and the protection of the angels of God who have been stationed there to protect his glory. And so what do the angels do as we close? The angels, they call us. The angels confront us. The angels cleanse us and the angels crown us. Aren't you thankful that God loves us enough to take care of us and oftentimes by sending one of his angels? He's going to see this and he's going to be really embarrassed, but I love him. So Larry Wheeler has been our broadcast engineer here for over a decade. And if you're new to Abilene or if you've been around for a while, you may not even know, but... Larry does a phenomenal job every week of editing our broadcast and getting it ready to go out. He's, he also takes care of David Jeremiah, so we're in pretty good company, right? And after last week, he sent me a, a text message, and here's what he said. All right, 1999, I'm driving my dad's Corvette across country. Stop at a truck stop in New Mexico to fuel up. Get ready to leave. Car won't start. I panic. I have no money to fix it. I put the large hood up on the car. Old man in parking lot comes over and asks, hey, what's up? I tell him, he winks at me and tells me, try it now. I did, car started right up. I thanked the guy and drove on to I-40 to find it jammed up. Seems there was a large pileup, the kind that being in a fiberglass car wouldn't be good in. 
Got car home without ever shutting it off. Car started wonderfully after that until daddy sold it. And here's what he said. He said, this is as concise as I can make it. True story. I'll never forget. And how often has God ministered to us, his children, by sending one of his angels, these ministering spirits, to take care of us? How much must he love us? I'll do you one better. How much must God love us to send Jesus into this world to die on a cross for us while we're still sinners? And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you've never trusted Jesus, you're a good person, you're at church in the middle of the summer on a Sunday morning, you try to live by the golden rule, you say grace before supper, you say your prayers before you go to bed, you try to be a good person. You were raised in church, but you have never trusted Jesus. You've never been saved. 2,000 years ago, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus into this world to die for you on the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day, he literally, physically, visibly rose from the dead. So that if you sitting here this morning at Abilene Baptist Church in the 11 o'clock service would realize that you're a sinner, because we all are. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you would repent of your sin, because the Bible says in Luke that if you don't repent, you'll perish. And if you would receive Jesus into your heart, because the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that if you would do that this morning, you would receive the greatest gift that anybody could ever receive, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. 